Hey gang, I spoke with Chris Arnotti, a photographer and writer who is embarking on a project called Walking the World, in which he traverses by foot various international cities. We also talked about politics a bit. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Chris Arnotti. Chris, could you please introduce yourself? Um, well, <laughs> I'm Chris Arnotti. Um, I don't know how to describe myself, actually. I guess I'm a writer photographer now, um, but um, a quick background. Uh, I have a PhD in physics. I worked for 20 years on Wall Street. I quit that job and and years ago, almost to the day. Um, and since hmm. then, I have kind of focused on uh, initially writing about addiction and poverty in America, um, which which I did for about six years and culminated in a book called Dignity. Um, and then since then, I've been kicking around trying to figure out what to do. Um, and I've started a new project, which I call Walking the World, where I literally just walk <laughs> around cities of the world. So, and I, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for coming back on. You've been on a couple times before. And yeah, the we did a talk about your book, Dignity, when it came out. And I'll, I'll include the link to that episode below if people want to are, are new to your work and want to learn more about um, that book, which was quite good. And it, it came out th three or four years ago. Um, yeah, I think 2018. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that sounds right also. And we're mainly going to be talking about your new project, and but also maybe some updates on some of the themes that you have written about in the past. So, okay, well, how did this project, Walk, Walking the World, develop? Like, what was what was the inspiration for it? Um, it was similar to what I was doing when I was doing Dignity. Well, when I originally started Dignity, um, or the project that resulted in Dignity, it all began with me taking walks through Brooklyn um, in New York City, like, you know, 20 mile walks. And um, that, that kind of that process of doing long walks on the weekend, um, since I was working a full time job, it was only the weekends kind of was something I've always kind of done all my life. And, but around 2007, it took on a lot more, um, became a lot more consistent and a lot more focused. Um, I, I just, you know, I walk from my, my house in Brooklyn Heights to LaGuardia or, um, you know, from my house to uh, Coney Island or to JFK and just kind of along the walks, I started bringing cameras and I started talking to people and it developed in kind of almost uh, kind of a photojournalism, although I don't consider myself a journalist, you know, just people I met along the walks and, and their stories and some of the things I saw. And that kind of then culminated in me spending basically three years um, in Hunts Point, where I was uh, working with uh, working and documenting, I guess, uh, the lives of a kind of homeless street at street addicts, a group of maybe street family of maybe twenty to fifty um, people who were heroin and heroin users up in Hunts Point, the Bronx. Um, and that sort of then launched me into kind of doing the same thing, but across the country. Um, so I'd get in my car and I'd drive and I'd go to you know, uh, Ohio or uh, Texas or California and just, you know, spend a week or two weeks in a certain city and then write about it and write about generally about the people, on what, I guess what they call on the lower, lower end of the, on the margins, um, homeless, um, addicts, um, or just, you know, normies, people who are not generally <laughs> being profiled by um, people in the media. 
Um, I had either the fortune or misfortune for that process to be taking place during the election of 2016. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so some of my work got to be somewhat political or got spun political, um, you know, and so um, I got caught up in that sort of whole 2016 election cycle because um, a lot of the places I was going um, were places that um, what I would call Obama, Obama, Trump counties, places that voted for Obama twice and then end up voting for Trump. So the, the election of 2016 wasn't really that surprising to me. Um, and then that kind of got me a little bit more uh, higher profile to my um, <laughs> to my shock. <laughs> um, and that all that kind of work was put into dignity. Um, but the, the, but the, the whole thing of the, you know, was the, what, uh, the central to everything was the process of just walking around and talking to people. And uh, between the writing of dignity, and then I guess, up until, you know, after I got my vaccination shots, I kind of really settled down a lot more and wasn't doing as much walking, wasn't doing as much writing, was spending a lot of time on Twitter. Um, and I started feeling, you know, like I was really missing that engagement that I had. Um, so I started going on long walks um, again, but more focused. I mean, you know, I, I realized that what I had kind of, what I had evolved into during the last stages of the first project was I was spending too much time in my car and not enough time walking. Mm -hmm. So I kind of said, you know, I just want to really just walk. I don't want to use the car. I want to just uh, go to a town and walk 20 miles a day in it. Um, so that kind of, it kind of evolved partially. I was doing that for health reasons as well. As you know, COVID hit and, you know, I looked at the, I looked at the actuary table, saw my age and saw my weight and said, you know, I probably <laughs> should, I probably should get in better shape. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, and Substack had come around. And so I said, Hey, you know, let me doing these, I've been doing these kind of, you know, I walked all over Albany, you know, I've been walked all over, um, uh, Holyoke, uh, you know, places near my house. I walked over from Binghamton and I said, you know, I should probably really turn this into something more structured. Um, and, you know, go. so now it's this thing where I go into a city um, like Jacksonville, for instance, and I walk across the town one or two days, three or four days, depending on, you know, how much time I have, how big the city is, how interesting it is. And then write, write about my experiences and also publish lots of pictures I take away. To try to like look, I make these little essays, kind of these essays that are often I never really know what I'm going to write about until I sit down and write about, but which are try I try desperately not to make too political because uh, I'm really not into politics these days, mm -hmm. um, and try to focus on giving the reader kind of a sense of the place I go and sense of the people I meet in these places, um, and that includes places overseas. So um, I've been going. I, I spent a, a month in Kiev before the war. Uh, spent a Three weeks in Bucharest. I just, um, I just got back from a trip. I did Lima for three weeks, and the process is very similar wherever I go. So I go into the town. I get an apartment in a kind of dodgy side of the city, place that tourists don't go, a place they, you know, the the books would tell you not to go. I rent an apartment there, and I do my best to try to blend in. And to the degree, obviously, it's impossible to do that in many places, but. I try to live like a local uh, for those three weeks. Um, and during the day, I just walk up to 15 to 20 miles a day across the town, you know, all over and try to then collapse those um, those experiences into kind of S photo essays of what I saw the people I met. So the project, you know, seems to, to be a natural evolution from what you were doing initially, but it's, it's interesting right. that, you know, you sort of got sick of 
politics and this and so yeah so i think you initially came to my attention 2016 2017 you were tweeting and writing about people who were yeah, on the margins of society and some of these people, Donald Trump appealed to them. And th this was a period when people <laughs> in the media were trying to figure out how this crazy thing of Donald Trump becoming president happened. And you were talking to, you're letting, letting people speak in their own words and including some analysis. Um, and so a lot of that focused on people and your new work is, is is larger than that, I think. And tell me if you disagree with this. I mean, you're looking also at, you know, the built environment and just sort of the sense of different places. And I guess with the language barrier, when you're going out, you know, to countries where they don't speak English, you know, that you, you're not asking them about who they voted for in the last election. So it's more... Yeah, more impressionistic, maybe. Well, how would how would you describe the yeah, difference I mean, between I, I, the the built environments is definitely playing a big role. I guess I would say it's more kind of a little bit more sociology, a little bit more kind of you know urbanism, because um, I spend most of my time in cities. And you know, I, the language barrier is a lot um, a lot lower than you would think. Everybody and and again, it's not you know people want to talk to me because often I'm clearly an outsider. And they just really want to practice their English. So I have, I have, I have, you know, I actually have more people talking to me in foreign countries than I do in the U.S. Sometimes, but yeah, you know, I in terms of the politics, I, I even in the U.S., I don't ask political questions ever. I let them, you know, kind of reveal their politics, and if they start mm -hmm. talking about politics, I'll talk politics with them. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit more. I'm more interested in these days and how societies are structured. Um, so that's kind of what, why I'm going across the world is seeing how different people live. Uh, you know, it's like the way people live, the way they think, the worldview they have. And so in some senses, it's kind of cross, you know, looking at different cultures and different ways of people, the way people exist, the way, the, what, what gives them meaning, um, you know, how, how do people arrange their lives? How do, how do cities arrange their structures? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to go a little bit more kind of one turtle down from kind of who's yelling about what <laughs> and, and looking about why are they yelling about something or, you know, what, what gives them a sense of place. And this, the idea of what gives people a sense of place has really been a big theme. And what I've been doing the last year is kind of trying to understand, unfortunately, because I'm a, I'm a U.S. citizen and I do live here. A lot of my analysis is, is a compare and contrast to the U.S. You know, it's like, you know, I, I just spent a, a month in Hanoi. Um, and so a lot of what I wrote about that was kind of trying to understand why people in Vietnam who have, you know, one twentieth of what an average American has are so damn happy compared to Americans, you know. Um, and I try to like, you know, give kind of longer term observations and then do my best to explain them in a way that is isn't, you know, too much of a talking head. And mm -hmm. you know, let 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 readers kind of also, you know, engage in the process of trying to figure out you know, here's this, here's X, here's Y, here's my thoughts on why X and Y are different. But, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to slam down, down people's throats. So, you know, I'm new to this and I'm not a particular, you know, everybody has their own, people, people can add value. One of the really nice things about Substack is, you know, the readers give me a lot of feedback and that's really nice. It's so much more, it's so much nicer than Twitter where, <laughs> you know, you, you, you're not yelled at. Um, people can, or you can have a respectful disagreement. People teach you things. 
So it's a nice community. Um, uh-huh. But well, yeah, nicer, so, the, nicer but than is, Twitter is, is, I, is sort of damning of faint praise because Twitter <laughs> is very not nice in general. But yeah, the, you know, you're, commu- you're more of a community, not people drive by haters or, you know, right. people just looking to pick a fight or something. But, but I mean, what interests me these days is less, less kind of day to day politics, you know, because that, that to me is just, it's very boring um it, it just it's very superficial and also just for me at a personal level i don't enjoy it you know i i don't enjoy yelling at people on twitter and getting in fights i just it just it just it, i don't enjoy it um it doesn't give me happiness it doesn't make my mental health <laughs> stable mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know I, I i just i'm desperately trying to kind of um do what i do without being drawn into politics okay right but you are um, so the method that you, as someone who does spend time on Twitter and I see, you make, you make threads of photographs and stray observations from like the day's walk or I guess like city yep. by city. So when you're doing that, are you sort of like live tweeting what you're yeah. experiencing? Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I'm cutting down a little bit on that because I, I'm spending more time putting my effort into sub, to, to kind of the longer essays because mm-hmm. I never feel quite good about the live tweeting. It never makes me feel. I don't know. It's, it feels like you you eating a lot of um, cotton candy by, by the end of it. <laughs> you know, and it's also just distracting. Like if you're walking 18 miles a day and you're you know, you got to watch out cars don't hit you. And if you're sitting on the street corner, like saying, "Hey, this is a cool," you know. Uh, but I try to keep the kind of those kind of things. I also try to keep all of it kind of positive and, and humorous, you know, because I'm doing this because I enjoy it and I want the reader to enjoy it too. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know. You know, there, there, a lot of what I find is just there's a lot of absurdity in life, and I try to like, you know, I, I enjoy that, you know. Um, and so I feel like that, you know, is kind of um, what I try to bring to what I'm doing, and, and, and less kind of like, you know, focus on whatever trend, trending on Twitter and what what that means for, you know, whatever. Right. Um, um, well, I will say, you know, seeing your those threads you do on Twitter is a nice, you know, sort of. Um, break from the normal stuff that one sees on Twitter, especially because usually people are all sort of talking about the same two or three topics. And then, you know, you post a photo of like a street vendor in Vietnam or something. And so that's at least, you know, sort of a break from. I mean, I'm not entirely just, you know, I have my political views. I have my thoughts, Um, but I'm going to do something. Also, the thing is I'm overseas a lot. So I feel like, you know, it's really not, appropriate for me to be voicing my opinion on something in the u.s that's kind of i'm kind of like jumping into mm-hmm. um but um i mean I, uh, in october ahead of the election i am going to um i'm going to cross the country from basically from detroit down to texas mexican border so i'm going to do a combination over the entire month i'm going to walk through four, four swing dis- districts oh wow and um i'm gonna do a combination so i'm gonna fly from here to detroit and then after that I'm going to only transport myself by um, Greyhound or a public bus in my feet. So uh-huh. I'm just going to take a backpack, <laughs> get on the plane, get off in Detroit, and then basically work my way up to Flint, Michigan via bus. And then from Flint, go to um, basically St. Louis by probably Greyhound. Um, and then from St. Louis, go down to Texas by Greyhound. And, and, and during the process, walk. And I, I'll probably write a little bit about politics then. Um, but, you know, I... I 
even when I was writing about politics, I was trying to emphasize that politics don't matter to a lot of people, you know? <laughs> right. So um, I'm not going to write about, I'm not going to force conversations about politics. I'm not going to put it, and I never really have, you know, my, one of my frustrations is being lumped in with the people who kind of, you know, the kind of Trump explainers who um, would go into a neighborhood, jam a microphone in someone's vote voice and say, what do you think about politics? I, I never did that. <laughs> I kind of would just sit in the McDonald's and, and just talk to people and eventually politics would come up, you know, because it was 2016 politics came up a lot. Um, and, you know, if it did, then I'd write about it. If it didn't, then I wouldn't write about it. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't have an, I don't have a, like, I, you know, I feel bad, you know, the people who do the kind of, the people who write for, you know, they have, they have less time to do it. And they have they have a they have a goal. They have to get the political story. Um, my goal is, you know, I'm, I'm I have the luxury of having a, a little bit of uh, money that I got from Wall Street, coupled with um, I live cheaply, and coupled with you know, um, Substack. It's paying me enough to live on, so I can just kind of just you know take my time. And it's something it, I go into a place not knowing what story I'm going to get out of it. If you know what I mean, so I'll let the story evolve. I've never really known what story I'm going to get out of any place. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and so I, obviously that sto those stories are going to probably – because I'm choosing the time of October 4th elections and because I'm choosing four swing districts, there's a good chance that some of it's going to be political. But if it's not political, then I won't write about politics. I'm, I'm not going to force a, a storyline. Okay. Yeah. So just uh, – so a little sort of behind-the-scenes background is that you got in touch with me a couple weeks ago because you stumbled across an interview I did – in 2021 with this guy who is semi-anonymous uh his twitter handle is doug j and he's turned his twitter account into this parody account called new york times Pitchbot, where he sort of he he makes fun of the mainstream media and what he's and it's includes sort of a progressive left critique of uh you know like both sidesism view from nowhereism and uh, one of his running jokes is making fun of this idea of a report being filed from some um, Ohio diner talking right. to the people there who, you know, are sounding off uh, the issue of the day. And this was sort of, I mean, it sort of became such a like joke kind of thing that it stopped appearing, but especially around 2016, 2017, you often this sort of, you see this sort of report and it wasn't always Ohio, but it was usually some sort of Midwest or Rust Belt place and then the pe people who are in the diner would be giving a quote about how you know they like that donald trump fought fought for behalf of them or something like that and so he he parodies that and then i brought i mentioned your name um as someone who was sort of working in that vein but not not doing the same thing and uh, i think he i think he said he, he i think he says he hates me <laughs> <laughs> well i think he said yeah so i went back and watched that clip i think he he described what you're doing as poverty porn um and I mean, the, I, the, I, the guy is a cliche cliche machine i mean <laughs> i mean okay uh, i mean my my whole view on it is like my my my, my take on it is oh, whatever i mean i i generally agree with this assessment in new york times shit um but <laughs> but it's shit in a different direction i mean he's he's up he says in new york times New York Times is um, is a is a bubble of, of privilege elites, and he's just mad that 
they're talking to a different, they're not talking to privileged elites who are math professors like him. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're like, he, he wishes they would be, you know, he, he's, he's one section of the privilege who wish they would talk more to the kind of left-wing privileged elites as opposed to the right-wing privileged elites. My thing is, is like the, the whole problem in the New York Times is they're, they're still in a bubble and they're, they're kind of out, get out of their bubble and go into these communities was, I agree, it was done badly in large part. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> in any genre, there are people who do, do it really badly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think a lot of the kind of Trump explainer pieces are done very badly. Uh, I mean, I, I, as someone who's done it before, I look at them, I go, yeah, I kind of cringe. Um, but, you know, again, I have the luxury of a lot more time than these than these reporters do. And I don't have an editor saying, you, here's the story you have to write. <laughs> um, right. I mean, the only thing I would push back against that interview was uh, this idea that I only talk to white people is just absurd. <laughs> Right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I spent three. I got. I. I kind of was the, the accusation prior to 2016 was I was talking. I was doing too many um, communities of color, and I wasn't talking to. No, I, I was showing poverty to be solely a, a you know, because I was focused on addiction and poverty, and so I was giving a misrepresentation of poverty because I was primarily working working class black and Latino communities. I mean, I wrote a, I wrote a piece on Gary, Indiana. I wrote a piece on El Paso, Texas. I wrote a piece on Bakersfield. I mean, you know, it's like the, the amount of pieces I've written on the white working class are are, are minimal comparatively. Um, and so, so if you if you walk if you talk to the white working class, then you're a Trump explainer. If you don't, then you're a poverty porn person. Like it's no winning. <laughs> I mean, I find I find his shtick to be kind of like a shtick. I mean, it's kind of it's a one it's a one joke. It's a one. It's, it's one joke. It's it's very condescending. Like you know, it's it's like okay, dude, <laughs> you're a math professor. You know better than everybody else. That's cool. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think. I mean, so, I, some of us some some of us funny. <laughs> so you know, and pre- this is probably what I said in that conversation with Doug J was you know you are the the. The Trump explainer is like, yeah, the editor assigns someone and let's and, and sometimes it's pegged to like an upcoming election. So they're sent to um, some like town of 50,000 in Wisconsin and it's for the primary. And so the reporters dropped in and they're looking for quotes. And, you know, so they go to the diner to look for some chatty people. And who is, you know, in the diner in the middle of the day um, is probably people who you yes, know, like it's an working older, it's, the, the lunch rush, like it's yes. retirees. Yep. Um, and so that like, there's a reason that cliche became so laughable is it, it's like, has these very obvious problems. Um, yeah. So I never saw you as doing that sort of thing. I mean, you're, you're going all over and. You... I mean, this is very inside baseball, but there's a reason I do McDonald's instead of diners. Diners are basically, if you're diners are the place in every city you go to. Okay. If you go to a medium to small size city, there's always one place that everybody tell, tells you to go, and it's a and it's a place where basically the elected, the the, the kind of local gentry, the local elites, every place has their elites. You know, mm-hmm, <laughs> they may not mm-hmm. make a lot of money, but they're political. They may be the mayor, they may be the fire chief, they may be on the town council. They may those people go to the diner. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in those people. I'm interested in people who generally don't vote. <laughs> and those right. people go to McDonald's. And that's why I go to <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> you know, I'm not looking, you know, I'm not looking for people who are politically savvy, so to speak. I mean, one of the things that he said in that interview that was kind of offensive as hell was he was basically saying these people aren't worth talking to because they don't know anything. He said something along the lines of they're you know, they don't know they don't know what they're talking about. 
And I, I mean, that's, that's such an arrogant view. <laughs> I, I love talking to people who, quote, don't know what they're talking about. You know, people who just want to live their lives and just want to get by and, and maybe may know a hell, you know, the common who have a hell of a lot of knowledge about mechanics, have a hell of a lot of knowledge about like, you know, hairdressing, have a hell of a lot of knowledge about um, steel working, have it, you know, but may not know what the tax code is. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's 90% of Americans. And to, and to think that they're not worth listening to because they don't know what they're talking about is just, <laughs> I mean, that's the arrogant bullshit. <laughs> Okay, well, to somewhat defend Doug Jay, I think it's, you know, it would be like going to the diner and and trying to get someone to say something about politics. And if it's if the person they're talking to is like a 67 67 year old white person, then the thing they're going to say about politics, like can be slotted into your story about why, you know, this swing county went for Trump in 2016. And, you know, the thing they say may or may not reflect reality <laughs> in, in an accurate sense. I mean, so this is another this is another inside baseball thing that, you know, if you do what you start learning is like, I can go to any town and get any story I want. OK, right. You got to be very cognizant of that when you're doing this. There are plenty. Like you, I always try to choose and highlight people who are representative of a, lar- of a larger thing I've seen. Right. So if you talk to if you talk to 500 people. You can always find somebody who's going to fit your view, mm-hmm. but you really want to you want to you want to highlight the people who represent the bulk of the, what you've talked into, or at least the, who try to who represent you know the the, the underlying themes of the five hundred people you talk to. So I mean, you know, at some at some point you just have to say you got to trust me, but I'm not doing that. I'm not cherry picking. If you don't trust me, you don't trust me. I can't I can't convince you, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm very careful about who I choose to highlight. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget during the election there was. Um, a guy I met who, I mean, he was a Vietnam vet, or at least self-described Vietnam vet. You never know. He was, he was a Vietnam vet who was um, Native American. That was very clear from from, from his appearance um, and from where I was. Um, he was a Native American Vietnam vet who was claimed to be a practicing Buddhist, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he, 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 enough talk to people, you can realize that they know what they're talking about. He, he knew enough to, I guess, that he's read, read some books on Buddhism and was considered himself to be a practicing Buddhist, who was extremely pro-Trump, uh-huh. right? Now, that dude, I never, I never, I never wrote about because, I mean, that's, that's a one in 500, right? <laughs> that's not very representative. Uh-huh. I did, I did write about once in a while, there was a lot of apathy within the black community towards Hillary Clinton. And there was, you know, and so I wrote about that. And I wrote about the few, few blacks I met who supported Trump. What I, I mean, I, I mentioned them. I don't think I really remember. What I wrote about a lot more was a bunch of blacks who said they weren't going to vote because uh-huh. they didn't care anymore. That was the, you could write about the black Trump voter or you could write about, which is like, a, a, you know, again, it's 8%, 9%, 10%. Or you could write about what was, I thought, the bigger theme was there were a lot of African-American voters who just didn't quote feel feel the vibe, um, and didn't really want to participate. Um, mm-hmm. They were kind of let let down by the Obama administration. They had a lot of hopes, and nothing changed. People just want to they just want to like slot you into a, a slot, and that's fine. You know, you're slotted in that slot. And there's no fighting on Twitter. You know, you point <laughs> out, you know, like, okay, you can do these things badly. You can do these things um, well. You know, um, but it, you know, so yeah, and I yeah, and, and so there's. I'm sure there are lazy journalists out there who, you know, parachute in somewhere. They're looking for, you know, we need three pro-Trump 
quotes to explain why <laughs> Trump voters like Trump and they get those and then they call it a day and that, you know, exists. Um, uh, you're doing something very different from that, although, you know, sort of in the same general space of, yeah, talking to people from places where you often don't hear the voices in, in the, you know, the mainstream media or whatever. Um, okay, so let's let's return to the current project. Well, when did you decide that you didn't just want to do America? You wanted to go to <laughs> cities around I, the world, I, I, and I, also, I, how are you? How are you deciding where you're going to go? I mean, I decided this well before I, I was about to go right before COVID, and then COVID locked down, and so I couldn't do that. Um, mm -hmm. I was just kind of burned out on the U.S. Um, I mean, I've I've spent so much time walking and driving across the U.S., and um, you know, I. I feel like I I know it to a certain level that um, and also again the debate in the U.S. I find just like it's just like you know it's people it's snide snide pitch bot comments and then it's people saying you know you're an idiot to pitch bot you know so it's mm -hmm. like that's not very helpful so it's just I wasn't learning anything um, so I mean it was very selfish for me I wasn't learning anything I want to learn something um, and I wasn't learning much in the U.S. and I had the luxury of being able to travel um, so I so I did it. Um, and then COVID hit and that kind of basically, but also, you know, if you're kind of trying to, you know, at some level, this is very much a selfish process of me just trying to learn about things, just, you know, education for me. Um, and I felt like, you know, if you're, I used to be a scientist. And so if you learn, you try to get as many different, different, you know, viewpoints as possible, um, you know, and so I kind of wanted to see, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time as a child growing up, traveling around the world. So traveling overseas is always, I, 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 I don't want to be like arrogant, but I'm, I'm pretty, I was a pretty well-traveled person. So I wanted to go back and do that um, and kind of use, use the, you know, use the perspective from other countries to kind of start going a little bit, another layer down in, mm -hmm. in my thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so, and how I, how I choose to go is kind of a combination of um, uh, a bunch of things, uh, you know, um, but a lot of it's just, Pricing, <laughs> you know, I, I I basically look for places that are cheap um, and mm -hmm. have cheap air flights, and so I'm always kind of looking on, on my computer, kind of, kind of mapping out things and places that, that to me are interesting. Right now, what's really interesting me is religion and the role of religion in people's lives, and so I'm going to you know I'm going for my next three trips are are places that are um, basically lower income communities in Muslim countries. Um, so I'm going to go into Istanbul um, in a few weeks, um, and then I'm going in December. I'm going to Bishkek, um, Kyrgyzstan, um, and then um, after that I'm going to Amman, Jordan, um, to kind of explore. You know, I spent some time in some Muslim countries. So I spent some time in. Um, I was spent time before in, in Istanbul, um, and I I, I want to see kind of, you know. And it's, you know, and I spent some time in Jakarta as well. And I want to kind of, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of, you know, over those two trips, I started having a, a, a lot of respect for the role of the Muslim faith and the role it has in people's lives and how it, how it, um, especially in lower income communities, how it kind of is there as a community center and how it provides people a real sense of meaning, and how it does in many ways a better job of that. Of giving people a place, both both in their community, but also spiritually a place that my Catholicism does. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to explore that more. And so those, you know, so right now I have a theme of religion, and so I kind of 
um, you know, um, I'm going to go kind of make kind of this fall about going to places, Muslim countries. So, you know, and I, and then I always try to choose a little bit offbeat places. I don't try to, I try not to go to the obvious ones. And the obvious place to go is, is Cairo. And instead of Cairo, I'm going to go to Mon Jordan in this, you know, in Bishkek. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and in both cases, those are, those are cheaper. I also like places that one of the, one of the things that I really find for what I do, and it's both in the U.S. here, is I like places that um, have a um, have a genuine sense of them, who who have a genuine sense of their, their you know, it's like uh, at the very, so just this summer I walked, I did Korea, and I spent, I did three weeks in Seoul, and then I did a month in Hawaii, and then I, I literally walked across England. Um, um, but um one of the things I always try to find is, and the problem with England is, you know, they're too, a little too aware of their of what they're supposed to be. They understand, you know, there's a bit, they're a bit on display, right? Uh-huh. Like certain places, like you know, are are, um, are are there for tourists, and 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 people, and it's almost like you know, they know what they they know what the, the people want them to be. They know what tur- they know what tourists want them to be. And in some senses, there's it's it's a self awareness that becomes almost ironic, like you know. Um, and I try to look for places where people are just themselves and not putting on a putting on a show. You know, they're just they're, they're just you know, they're just. I can't. I don't know what. So what is somebody from Kyrgyzstan called a Kyrgyzstanian? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I the, the the town you named in Kyrgyzstan I'd never even heard of before. So I yeah. I, I know nothing and, and about so, Kyrgyzstan. So again, I, I like places that mo- a lot of people haven't heard of. So I like bi- I like big cities that people haven't heard of. You know, because one of one when I started this project long ago, I envisioned this idea that you know. Like a third of the world is in cities that a lot of people haven't heard of. A lot of them are in China, but you know, um, like you know, Bangladesh, even Bangladesh, um, in India, uh, these, you know, Jakarta. Nobody, nobody, nobody spends a month in Jakarta by choice, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's why I spent. And so when I went to Vietnam, everybody said to go go to you know Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon. Um, I was much more appe- I found it much more appealing to go to Hanoi, which people generally don't spend a month in. So I, I try to go to places that, you know, are kind of not really big tourist destinations. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, I think people are just a lot a lot more com- comfortable in their own skin there. They're not putting on a show for tourists. Um, so a lot of my choices are kind of are selfish about, about what I want, um, but also try, also for my for people who read what i do trying to give them into kind of you know i wouldn't say slightly more dangerous because but the neighborhoods you know they may not necessarily go because they don't feel comfortable going you know, mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons and one of them safety right so i can't remember where it was maybe it was somewhere in florida when you're doing this you posted like a route you were thinking of taking like the google map sort of route and you know you noted that this might not be walkable at all because you know you have to like cross a interstate or something um and a lot of american cities are not built for walking they're built for cars are there sort of are there any like broad differences between doing this project in america and doing it in you know not not america if, if you can classify um, it that mean, way yeah so american cities in general are less walkable i mean certainly southern cities and i mean i, I walk I, I, for instance, I walked to car. I walked um, Jacksonville because it was on the list of places that are the least walkable city. I walked Orlando because it was on the list of least walkable city. So I do like the kind of challenges. But the other thing about walking a city that walkable is a lot of people are walking, so you meet them. 
So you, you walk across Orlando over the, it's 21 miles I walked across Orlando. You have to cross a lot of dodgy, not dodgy, it's um, just, just almost impossible to walk because there's no sidewalks. There's eight lane roads intersecting with eight lane roads. There's no pedestrian right away. There are other people doing that. And you meet people who, who are doing that. And it's not people who usually get a lot of attention mm-hmm. <laughs> on the press. So you meet, so by walking, you meet, especially in unwalkable cities, you realize a lot of people are walking in unwalkable cities. <laughs> um, uh-huh. and, and it's an interesting demographic. And the other thing I do in these places, I always take local buses. When I, when I complete a route, I, I take the public bus home. And that's another place where you meet people <laughs> you know, um, who are you know, not necessarily um, not doing all that well in life. Um, but, but in terms of overseas, I mean, something like you know, Hanoi is, you know, people, when people heard I was walking 20 miles a day in Hanoi, they're like, you know, people who know Hanoi, like, are you crazy? Like, you know. Hanoi was, by many measures, one of the hardest cities, most unwalkable cities in that sense, because uh, the sidewalks were, if they existed, were um, were patched, were massive. You just had to look down a lot because you, you might you might fall into a hole, <laughs> you know. And then the, mo- the crossing roads, massive swarms of mopeds. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of chaos. Um, but I really enjoyed it because. Um, it all kind of worked in a strange way, but even even people in Hanoi were talking like they see this kind of American who just assumed, you know, uh, I'd go into a neighborhood and then they would all engage me and like, you know, the ones with the do you want do you want me to get you a moped? <laughs> you know, I I I can I can get you a moped if you need one. You know, like uh-huh. why are you walking? <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, in terms of the most walkable cities, generally are the cities I think have the have the pedestrian most in mind are, are generally Eastern European cities, um, you know, like Kiev or um, Bucharest that, you know, they have the broad alleys and the communist era did many bad things, but one of the things they generally did is focus on people walking because, you know, they didn't, they didn't have much money. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, they, and so the Eastern European cities in terms of just like not being killed by a car um, are probably some of the most walkable cities in the, in the world. <laughs> uh-huh. What are sort of like the practicalities of doing this project? Like, you know, at the end of the day, are you ready to collapse? Are you? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my, my general day is, I mean, it's interesting is I was telling my wife is um, just when I'm ready to go home, I, I end up, my, I have a, I have a pattern at this point where I, I get my, I get in, I get into my apartment and then I go out that night. And then the next two days, I ba- basically do two massive walks across the city. I spend a lot of time looking at maps, but in different directions. So I kind of like go from one end to the one end, one way east to west, one end, one way north to south. And then I start zeroing in on what, what I like, you know, what, what, what appeals to me. And then generally it's not the wealthy neighborhoods. It's the, not, it's the middle-class neighborhoods or working class neighborhoods. And then I get into a, by, by the end I'm in a routine where I have this kind of standard 15 mile walk. I try to become a regular in, in, in restaurants and bars, just re- I, ones I kind of randomly choose so I don't go hopping around and trying all these different places. I kind of find a place I like and I try to go back as much as often because to, to get the sense of being kind of a, you know, kind of a regular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the end, I have this kind of pattern where, you know, I, you know, like in Hanoi, I'd get up at five. I'd go get my bond me at, at this place I love, which was uh, um, like, you know, two and a half miles away. I, you know, I developed a little relationship with you know, you know, 
<laughs> without with lots of hand signals and things of the woman who 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 made it. Um, and then I would you know choose like a twelve mile or thirteen mile walk, and then I'd take a nap, and then I you know go out to this bar I liked um, and just sit there you know for four hours, and at the end of the evening just kind of resting and eating and drinking. So I kind of get these patterns I develop um, to do so that I can kind of like you know make more connections with people also because i'm just a little bit lazy i don't like to jump around <laughs> um but in terms of like the practicalities of like i travel extraordinarily light um i did this kind of 10 week around the world trip i just mentioned where i did korea then vietnam and then i walked literally walked across england with uh i i only carried a a backpack that you know kind of a school backpack that's all i brought was one school backpack that I could just shove under there, the airline seat, no carry on, nothing, just one mm -hmm. carry on. That's it. Uh, so I travel extraordinarily light. I wear the same outfit almost every day. You know, um, I try to tr I try to travel pretty cheaply, and um, I, I'm sure I look like a complete slob. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I just I just walk around and with my I have a I have a little point and shoot camera in my back pocket, and I you know, just you know walk around, talk to people, and do my little thing. Um, and, uh, you know, get into these kind of routines, um, where I, where I'm able to meet some, make connections with people, um, uh, one or two, one or two or three or four times. Um, but yeah, I, I spent a lot of time at night collapsed in bars. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what about, you know, the human necessities of drinking water and going to the bathroom and stuff like that? So, so I do, I do it. So. In general, it's not a huge problem because, I mean, so when I walked across England, I, it was the first time I did a long walk where I changed my, changed where I stay every night. So I brought everything on my back. Usually uh -huh. I just leave my stuff in my, my apartment and, you know, go out without, you know, like a, it's like, a, just do it like a, but this was, I was walking from point to point to point. And so um, that was a little bit more, it was a little bit more logistics involved, a little bit more complicated, but um. I, I do what it's called, um, and I wouldn't necessarily encourage people if, they're, if, they're, if they haven't walked a lot to do this. I, I do what I call tactile de tactical dehydration. <laughs> I basically keep myself pretty dehydrated. Huh, okay. Um, so, I, so I don't have to use the bathroom a lot. Uh -huh. um, but like, you know, I always have, especially in these in the, in the cities, I have these kind of checkpoints. I have, like, like malls are great places to stop and get use the air conditioning and just sit. Yeah, I take breaks, pretty regular breaks. Like I, so, these kind of break points every, you know, I don't just walk constantly. And I, I take breaks and I get lunch and you know and and um, but I don't eat a lot during the day. I kind of just eat really one, you know. Vietnam is different. I eat breakfast, but in general, I I don't eat a lot. I eat a lot at night, a big a big massive meal at night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, partially for that reason, it's like you don't you, you don't want to have to use the bathroom. Um, also, I sometimes I'll just pee pee in a you know, pee in an alley. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it it, it it's helpful to be a guy in that respect. This this whole process right. is helpful to be a guy oh, for safety uh, issues. Yeah. 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 But um, but yeah, you know um. You know, I, I try to, um, I just don't drink a lot of water. That can be a problem sometimes. You know, there were times I kind of felt like I was going to pass out. And, <laughs> but, you know, people are really like helpful. Like if, you know, if you just, if, if you just go into a store and just like say like, you know, I, I can I have water? They'll, they'll usually give it to you. Uh-huh. Okay. That, well, that's sensible, but also, yeah, you're, 
going above and beyond in some way if you're limiting your your intake uh but that makes sense okay so what so far what's been your favorite your favorite city to, to walk uh, in? hanoi hanoi yeah uh hanoi hanoi is probably my favorites um i mean it it always changes like every when i'm back on a trip i always say that place was my favorite <laughs> uh-huh. um but so far the place i would certainly go back to is hanoi um i really liked bucharest um like you know the question is favorite means like so i always think about this so i'm i i recently wrote a novel um and um if i write my when i write my next novel i'm going to sit i'm going to go to you know a different place and sit down for three months and write um and i ask myself what place would i go back to and just spend three months in? which which city would i go to versus which city would i go back to for three weeks those are kind of different you know what i mean uh-huh. um or which city would I move to for two years? Those are kind of different answers. But in terms of um, my favorite two cities are probably Hanoi. Uh, my three are Hanoi, Istanbul, and Bucharest. Uh, those are kind of like uh, I change every once in a while. But um, I, I personally like Hanoi the most. But it's, it's kind of a hard sell for other people. I know it's uh, don't 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 take my my advice and go to any of these necessarily. I have weird taste. Uh-huh. Um, but I absolutely loved Hanoi. And it um, was just kind of a place that was very different from all the other places I've been. Um, it was just an extraordinary friendly place, um, a very inexpensive place, a very interesting place. There's a lot going on. Like you just learn a lot there. Um, the food was good. Um, and the, the people were, were absolutely magnificent. Um, Istanbul is um, kind of just... Hanoi's not pretty. I mean, I, I happen to think it is, but it's not. Istanbul is just an absolutely um, gorgeous city. Um, and if you, especially if you go to the Asian side where I spend time on, it's, you can find kind of a, you know, it's just really kind of magical. To In Istanbul, I had this kind of um, daily route that took me up a really steep hill. There's a lot of hills in Istanbul into a neighborhood that people told me not to go. It's not it's not dangerous, but there's... there's um, some Roma people there, so they consider it dangerous. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it's it's like a five mile hike. My morning my morning walk in Istanbul and um, up a very steep hill. And when I was there last August, it was like 95, 93 degrees. So I would stop in this one mosque just to, um, cool down. And it's a mosque that you know everybody goes to Hagia Sophia. Everybody goes to there's there's like you know. At least thirty mosques above this mosque in terms of ones that people will go. If a tourist, <laughs> if, a tur- if a tourist goes to Istanbul, they're not going to go to this mosque. Uh-huh. They're just not. But it's one of the most gorgeous mosques I've seen, and it was built in 1520. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's still active. It's still a very active community. It's still a working mosque. There's still you know call to prayer daily. There's still you know. And when I would sit there, the the old ladies. The, the mosque yard would come give me food <laughs> you know and give me water and food uh-huh. <laughs> it was just a very you know it's just it's, it's amazing to interact with history in that way where it's not dead it's not this kind of thing that is quarantined off with velvet ropes and you have to stand in line to go to it's active it's an active mosque um that absolutely no i've never you know in my months in istanbul when i was there i was there like you know i probably stopped that mosque twice a day uh, over a month i never saw uh, any tourists or ever but it, sh- it should be like you know it should be a tourist place so that's why i like istanbul for m- amongst many reasons um and bucharest is just um i have i have this kind of um affection um 
both aesthetically and kind of intellectually, I guess, with kind of these Soviet era apartment complexes. Okay. You know, and, so so, um, so Bucharest is the capital of Romania. Yeah. And I, I couldn't tell you a single fact about Bucharest yeah, aside, so, aside from that. I mean, you know, and so I had always been as a child fascinated with Bucharest because of the whole Ceausescu regime, which was so, so appalling. And so he built himself. Yes. You have, you have you ever Google, just look at Ceausescu's palace. He built himself um, in Bucharest. Huh? Like it looks exactly what this like the story is. I mean, he was a communist totalitarian leader of Romania, I think for 25, three years, evil guy, but it looks exactly like what what was inspired by it looks like it was a cross between a north north korea and and and, and france french like a french <laughs> palace and built by a north korean okay <laughs> and that's basically what it was he went to north korea um, he, he had a lot of um, sympathy for north korea he went to north korea and he was inspired by the designs he saw there uh-huh. but he was also really into french french palaces so he built this just this this for 20 years of his reign, he had he 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 ripped down the downtown and built this ginormous ginormous building. <laughs> I think it's called the Palace of the People, which is you know I love double speak because no people are allowed <laughs> in, but it just looms over Bucharest. It's just this monstrosity that doesn't end. And you know, I as a kid, I was always kind of fascinated by this you know kid or teenager by this concept of this guy just basically. Um, building this this you know white giant that uh, in the end did him in. Um, I mean, you know, the, he ended up getting him. Him and his wife were executed by the people <laughs> on Christmas Eve in nineteen eighty-eight. I think eighty-nine. Bucharest is also just filled with just you know it's just there's just a lot of quirkiness to the town because it, I mean you know again tourists haven't really discovered Bucharest. Uh huh. Okay, so we're probably moving towards the end of our time, but I did want to ask you about, you know, back towards politics, which I know you're not focusing on, but what what do you do? I mean, do you have a sense for sort of the people who you spoke with or identified or highlighted their stories who either they were sort of apolitical and they felt an attraction to Trump or they were so put off by Democrats that they just sat out in 2016? Do you have a sense of what those people were thinking in around election time 2020 were they still for trump were they were people who had checked out last time now more eager to vote because of all the crazy things that happened over trump's term or or what i think if it hadn't been if it hadn't been for covid trump would have won again um i think people don't recognize how close he was to victory um i think you know People should really, really, really kind of enjoy the information and be worried. <laughs> um, but he, I think there are two pivotal points that gave Biden the election. One was um, Trump's denial early on of mishandling the COVID, you know, just kind of his kind of Trump being Trump. And then his absurd performance in the first debate. Was that the one, was that the one where he just kind of like, Remember, he just cut the yelling and yelling and yelling. Yeah, you get the interrupting and trying to throw Biden off. Yeah, I, I, I just think that both of those kind of were, uh, you know, were, were places that kind of, he, he just lost the people who were like, you know, I just want something. I just want, I just want normalcy, man. I'm a little bit tired of this shit. <laughs> right. Like, you know, and um, I think it was pretty, I think Trump could have, could have, the fact that he could have easily 
easily. The fact that he could have won in 2020 should scare people because, you know, the, the, all the things that people um, blue check Twitter don't like about Trump don't bother most people. They just don't bother them. I mean, one of the things I can never, I can't get across to people, and I understand this, you know, politics now is people's moral guide points. So it's hard to, if someone's more thinks you're morally wrong, they have trouble kind of understanding the other side. But um, the the number of people, and this isn't just the white working class, there's Latinos, this is blacks, <laughs> but no, especially men, okay? Men, I'm talking primarily here about men. The number of people who find Trump hilarious. Like, you, may, you know, the, the things that the, the front row or the, the blue checks just like, you know, scream about, <laughs> people are laughing their asses off, even people who don't particularly like him, you know? So, like, I don't want to be the normie explainer here, but, you know, you, you sit around and you, you see Trump on TV, people are laughing their asses off. He's a, he's a stand-up comedian, man. Um, and so they just enjoy the kind of spectacle I mean, they, they don't, you know, there's this kind of, again, the people I spend time with are not necessarily the largest part of the electorate, but, you know, the people who don't vote, um, they just find this fucking thing all amusing. You know, it's just, they, they just enjoy him because he's making the blue check scream. And that, and that didn't really, that's never really changed. Um, you know, we've gotten to a point where people are so kind of disenfranchised or so just whatever you want to be, if you want to be kind of, um, Sympathetic, you can call them different franchises. If you don't want to be sympathetic, you can call them dumb or or ignorant or racist or whatever you want to call them. That they just find this, they just find this whole thing funny, you know. Uh -huh. well, um, well, I mean, but okay, so I'm, you know, so the pandemic was something that you know. I, I assume the average American does not pay attention to politics, really. And they had to pay. They had to pay attention to the pandemic. yes. This had, everyone, yeah. you, everyone you, on earth you could, had to pay attention it, to this. Yes, exactly. And so that this was like you know uh, something out of the blue that scrambled everything. And yeah, you, everyone's life changed in some way. Um, even if you tried to carry on with your life, ignore the virus. You know things were closed. So 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 so, so, so the stand-up comedian was a little bit less funny when it came to COVID. Yeah. So it seems so that is part of it. But I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that you said the the debate shifted things because the sort of person I'm thinking about isn't watching the presidential debate because there's no, they're not a football game on or something. Yeah, but, but, but so, so the, the, the kind of, the kind of people who don't engage in a lot with politics were just, they were swayed by the, by the COVID. Okay. Mm -hmm. They're like, you know what, this, I don't care. I don't give a shit about politics, but I have to care now. I can't not right. care. It's COVID. And this guy's not doing a good job of that. He's fucking it up, man. Like, you know, stop, stop with your jokes. I just want to fucking, I want to be able to get, I don't want to die. <laughs> and I want to be able to get out of my house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but when it came to people who are engaged or slightly engaged, I mean, who were like maybe sympathetic or kind of getting a little bit tired of this bullshit, his debate performance was just so, so bad. Uh -huh. So bad. I mean, you, you, it wasn't funny. Either. That's what I mean. It was like, even the people who find him funny were like, come on, man, this is like, this is that you can even be very simple and say he just did a bad stand up act and it just it fell flat, uh -huh. <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I will say that like, um, you know, I kind of think, you know, I, I've always kind of funny, funny humorous that I've kind of been lumped in with people who are like, you know, at all pro Trump because like, you know, I mean, he, he's, he, he's, he's a jerk, you know? And so, but people, you know, it, it reminds, there's, there's this kind of thing I, I talked about with addiction called, um, 
you, at a certain point, people own the stigma. If you if you feel like you're being stigmatized, you end up owning it. So perfect example of, is addicts. If someone keeps on calling you a dirty addict, eventually you're like, you're okay, fine, I'm a dirty addict. And they roll uh-huh. with it, you know what I mean? You, you want me to play a dirty act? I'll play a dirty act. And I think that's true what's happening with a lot of Trump, Trump voters. is like, you know, they've been so, you know, fine, that's it. Uh, the gloves are off, I'll be that. <laughs> yeah. You want me to be a complete. And so and I think so people are owning the stereotype and that's bad, man. You know, <laughs> you know that's not cool. Yeah, and and you know, deplorables becoming uh, you know, the the term that at least some Trump voters were calling themselves in the movement. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, it's part of the stigma. That. And, yeah, and what know. about? I mean, for this type of person who I'm thinking of, who yeah, is generally checked out from politics, doesn't pay attention to the news for reasons that you know, there, there's some other stuff going on in their life. It's it's sort of a luxury to pay attention to the news or whatever. They're just generally checked out. But of course, COVID, they noticed they had to notice that because the whole world changed. What about January 6th? This person. I they, don't I don't think I don't know think if that th- happened or care about it at all. I or I have not heard one mention of January 6th in all my time since January 6th, except okay. on Twitter. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not making passing a judgment. I'm not saying what I think about. It. I don't have a particular view. I mean, I'm not saying what I'm just saying what other people. I, I have not heard one person mention January 6th, man. OK, that's um, interesting. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, again, it's very, there was, there was a period when I, um, from like 2018 to 2020 or so, or there was a period, maybe, I don't forget how it was, 27, 2019. I, I, I quit Twitter for two years. I literally didn't go on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't tweet. And I guess, I was, okay. I, re- I remember that you were gone, gone for a while. <laughs> like 18 months, I think it was. And I, I, um, I was spending most of the time then in, in Hispanic communities, especially El Paso, um, uh, down parts of LA that are basically on the south side of LA. Just kind of you know writing my book and then also writing my novel. And every once in a while, um, I log on Twitter. Not not I just go to the Twitter page to see what's trending. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see the tweets. I just saw it was tre- trending, and it was just it was just kind of like <laughs> it was like, huh? What are those words? What are they talking? You know, yeah. the disconnect between what's t- trending on Twitter and what pe- you know, people are cons- just, you know, people living their lives, which are often very messy um, and just kind of like, you know, they're, you know, they're the only things trending Twitter that made made sense were, were sports things, you know, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, oh, what's going on with, you know, the NBA playoffs, what's going on with, you know. You know, you can you can say that's bad or good that most people aren't politically engaged, but it but it just is. Yeah. Um, and so. Yeah, I know, I don't I like, wouldn't pass a moral judgment on that type of person. It's it's um yeah they it's sensible to not pay attention to daily politics because it's a waste of time paying attention to it because you know even even people who care about it like mostly nothing happens. So it, it's it's like a spectator sport for most people who pay attention. I mean, you know, January six is. You know, it certainly was a unique, novel, surprising, and unusual. I mean, in the same way that sort of like, you know, on a, on a smaller scale than 9-11, it's just like something we didn't think could have happened. And obviously 9-11, 3,000 people died, and January 6th, like five or six people died. So that's a di- big difference. But yeah, if I, I assume that this type of person like knew about 9-11, you know, in 2002 or whatever, um, just because that was another unavoidable event. So it's interesting that that... Yeah, you know, people just shrugged it off. I mean, the, the person I'll always think about, he's a gentleman I mentioned in the Youngtown article. He's an African-American guy on the street in Youngstown who, you know, 
he he just simply said like i i you know this is a case where i was asking people about politics um because uh, the election happened I think, two months earlier a month earlier so he said you know obama clinton bush trump you know it doesn't matter it's all the same like you know this this road and his house is one of four that wasn't wasn't boarded up on this street he's like you know this house, the, 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 these, this neighbor, this streets, you know, more houses hasn't changed. It's getting worse. And he literally said the potholes here have, have are, are still potholes, and so they're not being mm-hmm. filled. Like you know, the factories are still moving. Like you know, so what do I? Why do I care? And it's just like you know, at some point, you, it's a justified cynicism. You know, mathematically, voting doesn't matter. You know, he's not right. And so, what does it matter? It's not going to impact. It's not going to impact his life like it is going to be a, a person who lives in D.C. who's affiliated with with politics. Who's going to you know? Who's going to get maybe an appointment somewhere, or their 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 nonprofits get more money, or what what have you? So people have what I call a justified cynicism, and I think that's the that was kind of what I would hope would be the overwhelming like political message of my work was from you know masses like. People have a healthy a healthy cynicism to the political process because they don't feel like they're part of it, um, you know. And that's that's not a good place for the country to be, where mm-hmm. people don't necessarily feel like um, the political class matters to them, or the political process matters to them. Because you know, when someone like Trump comes along who can energize them and through this basically basically this fuck you message. Um, like, you know, just, just burn the whole thing down because it doesn't matter anyways. And then, you know, kind of leverages the whole process of um, of um, almost payback. Um, you know, you know, you guys have been fucking me over for all this time. Well, now I'm going to fuck, fuck you over. The kind of retribution politics that we're moving towards where kind of the goal of getting elected is to <laughs> is to anger the other side is not a good mm-hmm. place to be at all. I have, I have, you know, you also have to go back to the earlier question about why I'm going overseas more. Is this being in the U.S. is depressing. I mean, if you, you know, if you, if yeah. you do, I mean, if you do what I do, it's just not, nobody's happy. Um, you know, certainly the people who have a lot of, you know, people who are doing well are far less happy than they should be, you know, and, and then, and then the trajectory where we're going is not good. But we're going in a place where it's just going to continue. I mean, I, 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 this is not going to end. Like there's really this is just not going to end. Politics has become the way that people determine morality. Like we don't have any other any other system of morality other than politics. And you know when you have a secular society the way we have, um, you know you, you how you kind of like give yourself justification for having lived a life a moral life where you did some good, where you know you you can die and know that you've left a legacy is more and more through politics. You know, not through being comfortable with with your community, not being through comfortable with your family, not being comfortable necessarily um, with your faith, but with politics. And so it's become this kind of moral battlefield. And when you have a moral battlefield, I mean, it become it becomes like a, the old religious wars where the other side is is profane and you're sacred. Mm-hmm. And that and that just like that doesn't end well <laughs> because when you do that, then you, then violence is justified. And uh, we're we're getting closer and closer to um, justifying violence. Oh, I mean, um, you know, like January six was political violence, and it was, you know, and it, there was a brief period where, you know, both sides were expressed revulsion, but then it quickly, you know, became just another red versus blue thing. Um, maybe, we've got sort of long. Maybe this will be the, the last question. Do you think abortion? 
could break through as something yeah, that people are dosing? Yeah, the abortion debate, if the abortion decision hadn't come down, and again, I, I've been out of the country, so um, I've only been briefly. I mean, I, I'm actually in a, I live in a swing district now. It's now listed in a swing district, and you can see the process in my hometown. Um, but I really don't like to write about my hometown. But um, my, yeah, I guess it's my hometown. It's not my birth town. But um, if abortion hadn't um, a decision had been had uh, the, the Republicans or the Democrats were in for like you know a thrashing that would have been epic. Um, it would have been depressing to people who are Democrats. Um, I think abortion, the Republicans started recognizing that, got a little bit, you know, <laughs> got a little bit excited and started doing things. And the problem for the Republicans is when they start doing things, they remind people that the people don't really like them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they, they would have been much better off just sitting on their hands, letting the anger against Biden. And then, and then getting proving they didn't know what to know what to do, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, again, I I don't want to come across as saying like you know, the 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 enthusiasm that's behind Trump or that. And that, you know, I, I'm pretty harsh on the Democrat Party, but I'm gonna I don't want to like you know, come across as thinking that Republicans are are, are good. <laughs> I mean, they really are are. Are not doing themselves favor by reminding the public of who they are, <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I think I think that um, th that it will definitely have an impact. Um, how large an impact is impossible. I, again, I haven't. Uh, I will know a little bit better after this October trip, but um, I think it's a little bit. I think the the momentum is certainly moving back in the Democrats' favor. Yeah, I mean it's. You know, abortion is obviously a very like personal issue. If you, you know, it can't get much more personal. It's about women's bodies. So, um, it, and if you are totally checked out from politics, but then you, either you or someone you impregnated wants to get an abortion, and they're, and they are prevented from doing so by uh, this new court ruling, then you know, uh, politics is you know hit home in about as personal ways it can. So this uh, does. I think it's less that. I mean, I, I don't disagree with what you said, but I think it's less that. So I, my, my final, I have this rule about politics I call the hangover test, right? So again, the people who matter most are the people who vote, you know, there's, there's, but there's turnout, who turns out, right? And I call that the hangover test. So there are people who don't vote. There's also people who kind of, you know, vote once every five elections, four elections, three elections, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's why I call the hangover test. And that is, on election day, if you wake up hangover, do you vote? Because you know, voting's not a big deal for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They they generally want to do it, but if anything gets in their way, like you know what, oh whatever, like I got a flat tire, my life is busy, like I gotta you know I gotta get a kid, I gotta get the kids to their play date, you know, <laughs> right? Um, or even if it's just you know filling out a form and it's just like you know, oh, come on, it's just like it's people are great. You know, it's just a, it's just another task in their life, their already busy lives. They don't particularly put a high priority on. They kind of want to do it, but because you know, I mean, um, so what? So you got to be motivated. And mm -hmm. so, um, uh, part of the reason I predicted Trump was going to win in twenty sixteen was his voters passed the hangover test. I knew that if they woke up and they had a flat tire and they were hungover, they were going to fucking they were, they'd walk to the poll, <laughs> man. <laughs> Whereas Clinton voters were kind of like, yeah, you know, it's rainy. Like she's going to mm -hmm. win anyways. You know, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Um, like yeah, you know, she she just didn't she didn't bring the energy there. I think the abortion debate uh, has energized a lot of people who were kind of like, you know, the, the Democrats are far more than the Republicans. 
And so it's actually the people who are more politically evolved who are going to actually turn out. They're going to 100% turn out. You know what I mean? There is going to be nobody who has a kind of tendency to vote who's not going to vote on the Democratic side. And so it energized that core base. Uh-huh. And that's and that's a big thing in, a, in kind of a, a midterm election where, you know, less people vote than do vote in a kind of presidential election. So I think... Right. And the other thing is, it's been such a debate in our country for so damn long, you know, um, that you can be politically disengaged, but you know about this one, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, I mean, sort of my view on the whole thing is, um, I mean, basically, since, you know, since like 2000, the, the electorate has like reacted negatively to whatever has happened in politics. And then 9-11 like interrupted that. But after you know for, starting from 2006 it basically goes like back and forth of you know throw the bums out and then you know, like throw them out once again and almost any like substantive victory just provokes a backlash and so right. you know obamacare passes and then there's a huge backlash to that and then obama is able to win by like playing against the i mean he was sort of somewhat popular but he's, he plays against the excesses of the right and then the net 2014 backlash again, and then Trump is a backlash to Obama. And then tr- 2018, there was an anti-Trump backlash. And then 2020 was an anti-Trump backlash. And then, so we would think 2022 would be an anti-Biden backlash because, you know, the, the voters essentially don't like anything that happens in national That's politics, right. but, you know, and so it's sort of like, you know, in the way that passing uh, some sort of national health insurance bill was the dream of the Democrats, for half a century and then they finally did there's huge backlash you know uh overturning roe was for some part of the gop coalition was the um the central thing they wanted for half a century and so they got it and but it's you know winning is losing losing is winning in this dynamic we I have where every, everyone's exactly, unhappy i think that's exactly yeah, I so, think so, that's so some exactly people right. are maybe and, like um, okay we, we did it we're done like let's go back to our lives sort of thing whereas the people who don't like it are super pissed off and yeah, so I, I I'm not gonna make a prediction or anything, but it does seem like being angry about what's happening is the central motivating factor of American politics for the past 15, 20 years. And yeah, any any temporary victory just seems like it, it's gonna be an electoral defeat, and we're stuck in this cycle for now. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's exactly right, and I would say that you know I I still think the Republicans will probably um you know probably have a good day. Um, but I, I, I'm far less confident of that than I was, like, you know, pre, pre-decision. Um, and it, 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 to put it in your framework is, you know, the Republicans um, are cel- almost are celebrating their, their 2020 victory before it happens. And so there's already now a backlash to that, vic- that, that victory. <laughs> and right. the Democrats may experience that. Um, so, but I mean, I, in general, though, I mean, it, it's a luxury I have of not necessarily caring about politics, trying not to care about politics in the U.S. right now because it's just it's just so, it's just so depressing. I you know I understand why people are angry who pay attention to politics here. It's just like uh, the trajectory is not good, man. Yeah, it. I mean, it, things are you know I've been heading in a bad direction in a while, and I had some hope that Biden would be yeah a return to normalcy and a lessening of the role that politics is playing in people's lives and just making politics boring. And yeah, less of a part of people's identity. I thought it would be generally good. That hasn't worked out. Part of it is like the pandemic not ending. And 
uh, you know, maybe there's just there's always something that people are happy about. Um, and yeah, so I don't I I'm not generally optimistic about this, but I mean, and I don't know, maybe as like it's also the fact that we're stuck with these, you know, 70 plus year old men and women uh, ruling over us. And at some point, these people are not going to be around anymore. And then maybe a generational change will at least change the dynamic somehow. But it might not be it might be for the worse. Who, who knows? Um, OK, why don't we that's a somewhat dispiriting <laughs> um, note to end on. But but why don't we end things there? And so All right. I will include a link to your Substack project. But do you want to say what the URL is for for people who are on the go oh, geez, and want to check it out later? I, I don't even know the sub. It's walkingtheworld.substack. Walkingtheworld.substack. Okay, so yeah, people if or if they just Google "walking the world" Substack, it'll I assume it'll show up at the top. But yeah, there'll be a link in the notes. Um, Sadly, if you just Google "walking the world," there's some guy who's trying to charge you twenty thousand dollars to go on walks with him. <laughs> That's not okay. Me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, every, I guess everyone has an angle, but yeah, thank you for coming back on the show. And thanks to all of our viewers and listeners, or I guess they're just listeners now. Thanks to all the listeners. We'll see you again next time.